All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this time, this special time together to fellowship in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for fulfilling your needs through this congregation, Father. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to do so, to be instruments, to be made instruments of righteousness. May we never become familiar with this. What a privilege it is, Father. Thank you for using us this way. And thank you also for revealing your grace and your mercy and your love along the way to lift us up, to allow us these days to just rejoice. Thank you for these moments in time, Father, and thank you for always feeding us the word of truth. For as we dine on it, we are set free. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill. Your will be done, of course, but we pray to you for their healing and their comfort, as well as the comfort of their family members. Father, we pray for those that are still lost in this world, that before it's too late, you humble them and that they're saved. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to our benefit 2,000 years ago. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's that AC? It seems kind of... Did you turn it down? Is that a no? Is that a yes? You can answer. All right, there we go. Seems a little loud. Anyways, the Lord is our confidence, part 26. I do want to do just a review of our attitude towards wisdom, which was five parts. Nice job, Scott Grande, by the way, for listening to the Spirit and all of that. Always a wonderful addition, uh, always perfectly placed in our curriculum. So again, our attitude towards wisdom Here's what struck me as I listened to these messages myself. Wisdom isn't just an object, it's manifest in a person. So a lot of people, I think, think of wisdom uh, probably wrongly, that uh, it's just something to be had, something to add to a portfolio of existing uh, fleshly wisdom, that godly wisdom is just, you know, a few notches up over and beyond regular wisdom. As if it's just real, this is really good wisdom because it's from the Bible. And I think people think about wisdom that way, and that is just wrong, frankly. It's not just an object. It's not just something that we possess. It's a person. It's manifest in Christ Jesus. Go to Ephesians 3.8. We'll investigate this a little bit more. This is something that really just stood out as I was listening to the series uh, on vacation. Again, that wisdom isn't just an object. It's not something that we seek to possess for the sake of possessing, possessing it, if that makes sense. It's actually a person. And it's manifest in a relationship with this person if we are to gain it ourselves. Ephesians 3.8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the un, 
unfathomable riches of Christ. So we already have it started here, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rules and the authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, there's a revelation of this wisdom that was brought forth with the mystery of Christ himself. In other words, it's about him. He's the one who revealed this wisdom, who manifest this wisdom. And so if we're going to know wisdom, we have to know the one who manifests it, the actual person himself so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, uh, this revelation is intrinsic to Jesus Christ. This manifold wisdom of God then is intrinsic to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And this obviously brings us right back to our series, The Lord is Our Confidence. The Lord is our confidence, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Again, the point on the board, wisdom isn't just an object, it's manifest in a person. So this person, of course, is Jesus Christ. That's how we have to think about wisdom manifest in a person. As we noted this past week, Christ is actually described as the wisdom of God. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.24. 1 Corinthians 1.24. Christ is the wisdom of God. That's a very different approach, and we'll talk about the approach because that's something that we were talking about a couple of weeks back. How do we approach God? How do we approach wisdom? Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24, But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's actually called these things directly the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Again, the point on the board, wisdom isn't just an object. It's manifest in a person. So I was thinking about this. It's, it's natural, and I use natural on purpose because that's what our flesh is bent on, following natural tendencies natural or human sensibilities. It's natural for man to forget this simple truth. It's natural for man in his flesh to be attracted to the idea of something made in addition to something that already exists. Like I said at the start of class, there's earthly human wisdom. And you know, since it's from God, it's just a few notches up. And so, of course, that's a good thing to have. It's like having, you know, ice cream, and now you've got ice cream with sprinkles on top. That's a really poor way, a wrong way to think about divine wisdom. 
But it is natural for man to do that very thing. To have his wisdom, though, is to have him. And that's the critical point here that the Spirit's been making now for a while. To have his wisdom is to have him. Not as a possession, so to speak, but as an intrinsic portion of your soul. So this becomes our pursuit. In seeking him, we receive wisdom. In seeking him, we receive said wisdom. Conversely then, those who seek wisdom aside from him never truly receive it because it isn't grounded in who he is, which we might summarize as love. Those who seek wisdom aside from him never truly receive it because it isn't grounded in love. Another way to think about this as an analogy is think of the miracle of childbirth. Think of the miracle of childbirth. Can a man stake a unique claim to the child? No. How about the woman? Neither can. Because it is God who gives life. It is God who gives life. I always laughed when I hear a woman say to their child, you know, usually when they're chastising them, I gave you life. And then it's usually followed by, I can take it away, you know, type of thing. No, you didn't. You didn't give that child life. God did. God gives life. God is the unique author of life, just like other things. This is the way the analogy is going. It's the same with wisdom. None of us can proclaim we are the cause for wisdom in ourselves. It is God who provides wisdom. You have to think about that. And how does God say we get wisdom? We're learning it as we go. But here it is. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, 7. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. None of us can say we're the cause of life. None of us can say we're the cause of wisdom in ourselves. God provides these things. And perspective, my friends, makes all the difference in the world. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. This is God's bidding. This is God's deal. God causes the growth. And so God, when he gives us wisdom, is growing us. So we have to have this right attitude up here on the board that we saw this past week. Our attitude towards wisdom. Today, we have God's word to study. However, it's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. In other words, if you're just a grabber, you know, there's people out there just grab, you know what I'm saying? They just, they, I call them takers or users. That's their specialty. They're just good at really taking stuff or using people or using stuff. Consumers, never giving back, always just, you know, just like sponges, like uh, parasites. There's, there's that kind of an attitude. And that's a fleshly attitude. We all have it in us, so don't be, oh, I know someone just like that. It's you, okay? Because you, <laughs> you have a flesh. The flesh could care less about 
serving anyone else. It just is a self-serving, horrible thing. So we all have this errant attitude that pulls us away from understanding the truth the way the Bible lays it out. So we have to check our attitude, and that's what this past week has been about, five parts. Check our attitude. What's our attitude towards wisdom, after all? Do we look at it as just a few notches up since it's divine, or do we look at it as something we find in Christ, in the sphere of Him, in the sphere of love even, in the sphere of humility even, integrity, righteousness, justice, all these things. Where are we looking for wisdom? What's our attitude towards it? How, do we, are we grateful for it? Are we like Solomon? Is that what we're really seeking in this world, in this life? Our attitude towards wisdom. We have the Word of God to study. However, it's up to the sovereign Spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. We must never forget this. So I want to investigate what the Spirit's saying this morning, keeping in mind the intrinsic bond between true wisdom and being in Christ Jesus. Go to Philippians 4.13. We'll see what the Spirit has to say on this. Hopefully it makes more sense as we go. Philippians 4.13. Before I left, one of the main principles was it's how you approach that makes all the difference. How are you approaching this stuff? How do you approach God? How do you approach your relationship with Jesus Christ? How do you approach learning the Word of God? That makes all the difference. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things. Should, is there a period there? No. You would think there is sometimes, though, right? Even in your own life. I can do all things. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm this. I'm that. I've, I've gathered up even wisdom. I've just sort of stockpiled it, if you would, for my own purposes. Therefore, I can do all things. No, it says through him. Finish the sentence. Through him who strengthens me. If that's not part of your wisdom's arsenal, you don't have divine wisdom. You have earthly wisdom. You're no better than any other atheist or agnostic or whatever the heck they want to call themselves in this world who happens to be successful. We'll get to this in a moment because that's what I think about a lot of times when I'm on vacation. He sets me back and lets me look at the big picture. And then I have to run into, uh, I have to run into all kinds of people especially when I head out of the state. I have to run into all kinds of people who think really they're all that. And who really just talk. I went, let, let me put the case in point. I don't want to derail too far. But we were in Colorado, <clears throat> and we went to an old mining town. And this museum was three floors. It was fantastic. The way it was set up was awesome. There was a curator there. Everything was awesome. But the entire premise of the museum was isn't it how isn't it so great how much money these people made the entire premise of the museum the, you know what, what was supposed to jazz me up as I walked through the museum was reading all these stories about how this guy who came west with a nickel in his pocket was now a millionaire and the next person did the same thing and then and then what they don't tell you, you go see the video after 
All their relationships were in ruin. Several of them died as alcoholics. Uh, it's just disarray. And I'm saying, why do they not make this connection? Everybody's chasing after the things of the world, and then they literally die in a pit alone and miserable, drinking themselves to death. These are the millionaires. These are the ones who are propped up in the museum. They go into business together. Everything explodes. Forget about the family, to talk about family, what their kids had to go through. Anyways, people forget. Do you understand what I'm saying? People forget what this is really all about. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How about 2 Timothy 2.1? 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Go there. Second Timothy 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong, period? No. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's what true wisdom looks like. True wisdom does not stop with a period. Earthly wisdom stops, stops with a period there. Be strong. Buckle in. You know, uh, work out. Do this. Do that. You know, get better at your job. Get better at relationships. You know, read some self-help books. Do this. Just be strong. You know, believe in yourself. That's human wisdom. But then, you know, a couple of, ra a couple of notches up is when we go past the period here. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a very different proposition. Again, the point on the board that we saw this past week, if we were reading between the lines, our attitude towards wisdom. Today we have God's word to study. However, it's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. Go to 2 Peter 3.17. 2 Peter 3.17. We're just in survey mode here. Just some Holy Scripture to drive this point home. It's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. 2 Peter 3.17 You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, to Him be the glory. Remember, God's the one who causes all growth. To Him be the glory. Again, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. How about Colossians 1.9? Go there. Colossians 1, verse 9. There's no glory, strictly speaking, because you can open up your Bible to the wisdom books and memorize a few verses. Maybe be one of those people that put them on posters and sell them for a profit, that kind of a thing. There's no glory in that. 
This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want wisdom, you need Him. Colossians 1.9, you need to know Him. He needs to know you. Colossians 1.9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that, you see this? So that you will walk. We've done several studies in the past on walking. It doesn't just mean ambulating. It means walking in a way worthy, and as it says here, in a manner worthy of the Lord. Again, so that, so that there's a result of having His wisdom, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks, remembering where you came from, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Remember, God examines the heart. We don't qualify ourselves fit for service. That's something He does. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a lot. That's a lot of good counsel. Again, the point on the board, our attitude towards wisdom, we do have the word of God to study, but we are not to pluck from it. I think that was really the message this past week. We don't just pluck from it and sort of add to some existing portfolio of so-called wisdom. It's not like that. We are not padding our wisdom we are getting to know Jesus Christ, and in doing so, we are granted wisdom. That's a very different proposition. I can go home right now and learn a book. I have several nerdy books on my shelves that probably I've never even touched in years and years. Go down there, I learn some more, I don't know, learn something stupid. And now I have wisdom about how to write code. Big deal. That's padding. That's different than me going to the Bible and trying to form or at least seek a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two different avenues, if you would, to wisdom. Again, we have God's Word, but we need to approach it properly. That's something that we left off with two weeks ago. The approach has everything to do with what we find. It's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. And so we must approach the Word of God in humility. Think about it this way as well. Divine wisdom is found in the sphere of Christ. Nowhere else. In the sphere of Christ. Nowhere else. And I'm talking about divine wisdom. Of course, there's wisdom in this world. I just alluded to it. We might call it worldly wisdom. For example, you might be a good business person. There's a certain wisdom to that. That's cool. How to do certain jobs, certain wisdom to that. That's cool. How to make people laugh. There's actually a certain wisdom there. That's okay. Et cetera, et cetera. But those are all worldly wisdoms. That's something that an, even an unbeliever can do. However, true wisdom is located in the sphere of Christ alone. In the sphere 
of Christ alone. So we always have to think about big topics like this as an intrinsic part of being in Christ or in the sphere of Him. Godly wisdom, let's call it divine wisdom, we have to think of it this way. It's not just something added to a portfolio of existing worldly wisdom. This is about a relationship with Christ, finding ourselves in the sphere of Christ. For example, if we are to truly possess God's wisdom, we will become imitators of Christ. That's all you know. If we are to truly possess God's wisdom, if we're going to stake a claim to it, then we need to look in the mirror and say, am I truly a Christian? Am I an imitator of Christ? Why can I say that with confidence? Because He is wisdom. Because He is wisdom. If I look in the mirror and say, I'm one swell, smart guy. i got a pretty darn high IQ, but I don't see any bit of Christ. I've missed it. I've missed the point. If I'm not an imitator of Christ, if I don't see Christ in myself, What's my claim to wisdom? If he is wisdom, if the manifestation of wisdom I don't see, how can I claim? If I'm supposed to be walking in a manner worthy of that person, how can I make that claim to wisdom? I can't. I don't have it. I might have a lot of earthly wisdom, but I have none of his. And that's what differentiates an unbeliever and a believer, frankly. Everything we do is underpinned by Christ. Everything we do, the, the, what's the, right, the vehicle for our lives, where we rest, where we find ourselves, what moves us, what sanctifies us from point A to point B is Christ himself. That's where we find our wisdom. Anything done in the absence of that, when we jump off ship, anything done in the absence of that is not his wisdom. cannot be his wisdom because he is the manifestation. He is wisdom. Again, if we had to truly possess God's wisdom, we will become imitators of Christ, for He is wisdom. In other words, His wisdom becomes us. We become it. You might ask, well, again, what does that look like? What does that look like? How would I know? Well, good for us. We've been given very clear guidance on all of this to guard us from falling into the trap of thinking that wisdom is simply a, you know, a shiny new object worth possessing. You know, exact, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you say, oh, this is something good. It looks like wisdom in the Bible, so I'm going like, to like keep it like a shiny new object, you know, like a little pet rock, like something or a little, you know, I don't know, whatever. I found a little uh, diamond in the rough, and so I'm going to keep it for my own purposes. We've been given a lot of guidance in the Bible to guard us against that trap, that approach to wisdom, because it's a cockeyed way of looking at wisdom. It's a greedy way. It's a self-absorbed way. It's a self-righteous way of looking at wisdom. If we approach the truth with the wrong attitude, the thing we seek is actually held back from us by God. Remember when we, we read about Solomon? 
Solomon asked God, may I have wisdom? He didn't just demand it. He didn't just go to the Bible and say, well, since I've read all this stuff, so to speak, I want it. I'm going to keep it for myself. Like some people do now. He didn't do that. He didn't have the option, right? He didn't have the completed canon. But you get the point. If we approach the truth with the wrong attitude, the thing we seek is held back from us by God. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, 7, part B, but it's God who causes the growth. God gives grace to the humble, remember. And this wisdom we've been studying for two weeks and more is a gift. So we can't seize it the way our flesh would like to. Our flesh would like to read the Bible, gather up little nuggets of information and little pearls of wisdom so we can throw them out over the coffee machine at work or write little encouraging emails and texts to each other and say, oh, look at this verse and stuff like that. But it means nothing if you have no real relationship with Christ. If that's all it means to you, that it's vapid of the very manifestation of Jesus Christ, if that's all it means to you, you've missed the point. And when you miss the point that way, you suffer. You remain in bondage. This is about being set free. Every gift is from above, so says James 1.17, as we'll note, which means that we cannot seize it. It must be given to us by God. And this is why it's so important, this, this subtlety that I've been teaching now for a while. We don't seize wisdom. It's a gift. Just like we don't seize Jesus Christ. He's a gift, indescribable. He's a gift. We don't seize him. We don't stake a claim because we've said some prayer. We don't stake any claim to him. He says, I'll give you my peace. He says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you to me. He says these things. We don't have the right to seize him, to grab hold of him. If we can't grab him, then we can't grab his wisdom either because he, they are the same. That's the point. That's the subtlety. It's how we approach these things. Again, every gift is from above, which means that we cannot seize it. It must be given to us by God. Up here on the board, James 1.17, Every good thing given in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing is a gift. As soon as you hear that, you should say, then that means I can't grab it. You can't, you can't make me give you something, can you? If you take something that's mine, that's called stealing. You have to wait until, by my grace and mercy and love for you, I decide to give something to you. It's the same way with God. Every perfect gift is from above, is from God. Wisdom is a gift, is it not? Well, guess what? You can't seize it. You can't demand it from God even. You might have all the, like Scott said this past week, you're going to have the Bible memorized like Satan probably does. 
What does that mean? He's still stupid. He still wasn't wise enough to actually toe the line. So you can be smart and stupid at the same time. You can be smart and have no wisdom. You have a really high IQ and have no wisdom. You can be really highly esteemed like some of you are in this world and have very little wisdom as far as God is concerned. And you may run around in your current estate and impress people with your so-called knowledge of Holy Scripture, but you got very little wisdom. And then lo and behold, you got somebody who's a, quote, nobody in this world, who's got hardly any scripture memorized and has massive amounts of wisdom because God gave it to them. You see, the human flesh likes this, likes to increase self. The one in Christ, the one that's following Christ, really could care less. Has that attitude of Paul? All I want to know is him. I consider it all rubbish. I was like top of the heap over here at one point. But it didn't mean it doesn't mean anything. Unless I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't I mean if that's not the basis of my existence, if that's not the basis of your existence, what what good is any wisdom that you've got? What good is anything that you find? What good is any pearl you supposedly find in the Bible if this is always about you? So the approach means everything. That's what the Spirit's been teaching us. Again, we cannot seize it. Wisdom must be given to us by God. And some of you are like, darn it! That's my, my, honestly, I'll be totally transparent with you right now. That's me. A little bit of type A in me. Give me it! I see it! Got it! Mine! Nope. But I know it! So? So? Right? That's my person. I don't know about you, but that's my personality. Aggressive, right? Just grab it. It's, uh, here it is. You talk, oh, it's, you mean wisdom is in the Bible? Oh my God! Boom! I own it! Smart. You're an idiot. Basically, what he's told me. Wow, it's not that funny, man. He's just mad because I can read faster than you. See, I'm cocky, too. So are you. Seriously. Good to have me back, huh? I wouldn't have to teach this if you people had gotten this stuff straight this past week. I could have moved right on. We don't seize wisdom. It's a gift. You have to remember that. Just like we don't see the manifestation of wisdom, Jesus Christ. He's a gift. We don't get to seize him. Go to uh, James 3.13. James 3.13. So it's kind of an affront. When you hear that wisdom's a gift and it must be given, that you can't seize it, it's an affront to the human flesh, especially when it's aggressive, like I just described. It's an affront. We can't put it in our calendar. We can't, you know, just because we set aside time 
oh, we're, we're gr absolutely granted this thing. Like, you know, like when, when you went to school, whether you went to, un, you know, uh, high school or college or whatever, you know, you got really good at learning stuff. Big deal. What does that mean? It means you're an educated idiot until you actually know what the underlying point is. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Good question. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. Ow. You mean behavior. Yeah, behavior. You have to be an imitator of Christ. Because Christ is the very manifestation of wisdom, so says Holy Scripture. So let you show it. Show up to the mirror in the morning and say, yes, I see Christ. The first thing I see is Christ. I don't see a puffed up individual with a lot of Holy Scripture uh, in his belt or in his front pocket. I see a Christian. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this is exactly what I've been talking about, selfish ambition, trying to grasp it, trying to seize it, because you, you see Jesus Christ as something of great value, or you see wisdom as something of great, great value, so you want it, and so you seize it, and you even have a five-year plan on how to get it. That's selfish ambition, by the way. And God doesn't give it to you. Ain't that the kicker? Isn't that the kicker? The one who humbly comes to the Lord, like Solomon did, and said, just, can I have some wisdom? Can I, can you, like the apostles said, increase our faith, increase our faith, please? That's the one he grants grace to, because he gives grace to the humble. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you want to know something? This is the ugliest truth, I think, about Christianity that I've seen. One of them. The f How do I explain this? There's a competitiveness in, in Christianity that is so grotesque, it almost makes me nauseous. Like, I feel like throwing up. It's one of the reasons I left social media. We're not at competition with each other. We're not, we're not supposed to, you know, Christianity isn't just another thing to uh, conquer. But you would think by the behavior, now think of behavior, we just saw the note of it, let him show by his good behavior and deeds, you would think by the behavior of most Christians, we're just talking about another uh, notch in your belt. That it's just like, you know, being successful in business or something. Not only, not only am I beautiful and good at business, but I'm also this amazing Christian. Let me show you. Let me throw up. Let me vomit Holy Scripture all over you. Let me show you some of my wisdom. And then he just becomes another pillar. Do you understand? That's the human flesh. That's selfish ambition. That's not Christian at all. When's the last time you ever heard Jesus Christ brag about how great at business he was? Or how intelligent he was? Like, never? He actually spoke very simply so that everyone could understand. 
Imagine that. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Be honest with yourself, in other words. This wisdom, this ugly brand of wisdom that I just described in social networking scenes, and some of you might go to Thanksgiving, and since now you're, you know, you're no longer of the, quote, religion of the family, there's this competition, now there's this tension at the table, which is disgusting. This wisdom, this self-centered, self-aggrandizing wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Earthly, natural, demonic. So I'm be like, hey, wait a minute, you call me like demon-influenced? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yes, I absolutely am. Because what else is it? Are you saying you're being like Christ when you tangle with another Christian about who's better? When the whole reason you're doing so is just so that one of those pillars aren't knocked down a few nitpegs? Am I making sense? I hope so. Good. Good. That kind of wisdom, it's demonic. It's competitive. It's, it's uh, selfish. It's ambitious. Those words don't appear as precursors to holy gifts. They're what preclude us from receiving holy gifts because they're arrogant. Don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. Hello? Why are you here this morning? Honestly, ask yourselves, why are you here? It's a really good question. What are you here for? I, I don't know how to start, I don't know how to even, I'm not even going to attempt to answer that question for you. But that is a huge question for everyone to answer. Why are you here? Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering. Here it is, without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. That has been a huge principle as of late. And the seed of whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, the question on the table is, well, what does this wisdom look like? What does it look like? How do we know if we are in possession of it or if it's just our fleshes playing tricks on us? Well, here we go. Go to Philippians 2.3. Go there. Philippians 2.3. How do we know we're in possession of it? You mean it's not just about puffed up knowledge, not just about knowing Holy Scripture or wisdom book verses or passages? No. No. No, it is not. Philippians 2, 3. Here's a good start. If you want to understand what true wisdom looks like, if that's the question in your heart right now, what does true wisdom look like? What does it mean to imitate Christ? What does it mean? When I, what are you saying, bald guy, when I look in the mirror in the morning? What am I supposed to be seeing? Here you go. This is what you're supposed to see. Okay? This is, this is the starting point. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. 
I could probably stop there. I could probably end the message right now and say, go home and think about that for days, for the rest of your life. Because that'll never get old. Do nothing. Nothing means there's nothing left in you. <laughs> When's that going to happen? When you die. So this is applicable for the rest of your life. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Any, raise your hand if you think you can pull that off even today. Some of you have already stumbled all over the place since the start of class. Because what? Let's see. You're selfish and you're conceited. You hate. You hate it when the bald guy comes back. Why? Because he knocks you down a few pegs. Because that's exactly what you need, because that's what the Holy Spirit inspires him to do. To knock you down a few pegs. To say, you know what? You're selfish. You're conceited. Until the day you die, that'll be you. There's always going to be that, you know, that unholy uh, roommate? You know, the human flesh? The thing is disgusting. It only cares about itself. could care less about anybody else. It's selfish and it's conceited. And you live with that thing. So, happy Sunday. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Words to live by. But with humility. Ah, there it is. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know what wisdom looks like? This is the start of it. Have this attitude. This is what wisdom looks like, because this is what was in Christ Jesus. And who was wisdom? Who is wisdom? Christ Jesus. Okay. Who, although he existed in the form of God, can you claim that? No. So just for the sake of scale, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Whew. That's what wisdom looks like. If your wisdom doesn't start there, you don't have it. Is that clear enough? If your wisdom doesn't start with humility, you don't have it. If you're selfish and conceited, you absolutely know that you don't have it. If you're here this morning for any selfish reason or conceit, you don't have it. You are missing it. What the Spirit's clearly saying to us this morning is that divine wisdom is essentially the same thing as humility. Divine wisdom is essentially the same thing as humility. I know that might take some time to sink in, but it's absolutely a true statement. Wisdom, let me put it this way, wisdom and humility are so intrinsically bound in Christ 
that they might as well be counted the same. That's what the Spirit's saying. Now, don't you say, oh, well, it's wisdom. Think about it. Just think about it. Wisdom and humility are so intrinsically bound in Christ that they might as well be counted the same. Up here on the board. 1 John 5.20 in the Amplified. And we have seen and know by personal experience that the Son of God has actually come to this world and has given us understanding and insight so that we might progressively and personally know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's the pursuit. We find our wisdom in Him. Our, prime, our primitive pursuit is a relationship with Christ. When we have that relationship with Christ, we find the wisdom we seek. They're that intrinsic. And you cannot approach Christ in arrogance. And he despises hypocrisy. So you can't pretend on the way either. So, in other words, back to our point about being here this morning. If you're here for any other reason, you're a hypocrite. That's true. I called myself a hypocrite before I walked out today. Honest to goodness, I swear, I prayed on it. Why? Because I've been on two weeks almost of vacation, and sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, man, back to the grind, right? He's serious, like, so what do you mean, back to the grind? I don't mean it in the wrong way. Don't get, don't, it wasn't this overwhelming thing like this kind of a thing, so don't get all judgmental. I'm just being totally transparent. Was my heart pure? Nope. Nope. I got a lot of things going on in my mind right now, a lot of things... Um, to think about. And they can be distractions. And they can pull me away from the goal of this morning, the pristine objective, if you would. And that's a, that's a sad thing that I had to pray on, that I had to ask for help with before I even walked out here. So if it can happen to the shepherd, just saying, chances are some of you don't have pure hearts. Even now. Some of you are already thinking about, are there any football games on today? You? Everybody's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. You're a bunch of liars. We got Antonio Brown. Right? You're, it's unbelievable. Some of you are already thinking about fantasy football and what channels is coming on. Oh, my, oh my God, do I have the Tostitos and do I have the right dip? It's my turn to host the team, you know. I got my, my shirt on, it's pressed, it's dry cleaned. I'll be prancing around like a fool. So, you know what? That's not really pure. And those are the things you have to pray about. And that's just wisdom. Spot on. In the moment that was just given to you, compliments of the Holy Spirit. It's how he jolts you into realizing the truth about yourself. At least be honest and don't lie. Now, the point on the board. So that we may know progressively and personally know him uh, who is true. Compare this to one simple premise that Jesus has given us. Go to John 8.30. Keep your eye on the board, but now go to John 8.30. 
John 8.30. Verse 30, As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. That always makes me smile. That's the best. I'm almost getting emotional right now. Is that not the best? Many, think of those words. Oh, gosh. Many came to believe in him. Listen, people. This life that we're living, there's only two people. There's believers and unbelievers. That's all that matters. Honest to goodness. That is literally all that matters. This entire book, this entire timeline of human history is about one thing. The gospel. How is God saving people? So, when I read that, oh man, that's the, that's the purpose of life. That's why we're here. If you're saved, it's the only reason you're still alive. is to pursue that end goal. The propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Not the good news that we got uh, Antonio Brown on the Patriots. Some of you get more excited about that. Some of you are like, why is he getting all emotional up there? Some of you probably got more emotional about Antonio Brown than what I just read. And you're like, maybe it's just been a couple of weeks and he needs to get it out of his system. No, for real. Think about how excited some of you were about a stupid trade. And what I just read. Some of you just read about, whoop. Many came to believe in him. Oh, that's cool. But what about Antonio Brown? Maybe. Oh. Anyways, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. That is so beautiful. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So he had no problem putting them to the test. And here's the kicker. You will know the truth. Oh, by the way, that's me. You will know the truth. He is the very fullness of grace and truth, right? John 1.14. The Word became flesh. It's all tied together. You will know the truth. You'll know me. And that truth will make you free. So you see, the truth is Him. The wisdom is Him. The humility is him. I was thinking about this. Maybe I uh, can't believe we're almost out of time. Just step back for a moment. God is three persons, right? Three persons. Jesus is our mediator, our touch point, if you will. Being a person means he has his own will. That's one of the characteristics of being a person, is you have a will. So, Jesus has his own will. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, as a person. So imagine you're Jesus for a moment. If someone comes up to you with a demanding voice and says, Hey, you, be my friend this day. So you're Jesus, right? 
And someone comes up with a demanding voice and says, hey, you, be my friend. Like, no. Your first instinct, looking past the tactlessness of the approach, would likely be to respond, but I don't know you yet. I'm not objecting to friendship, but I don't know you. And frankly, you don't really know me either. You might add, how can we truly be friends if we don't know each other? Why is it that we can relate immediately? If we put ourselves in Jesus' shoes for a moment, some of you even giggled. Why is it we can relate immediately to this situation, but often fail to see how God treats those creatures who approach him this same way in arrogance? God is a person, not just some spiritual being in the ether. God is a person. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is a person. He has his own will. We don't get to demand anything from him. We are created in his image. So we can learn an awful lot by relating to him personally. So let me just continue with this thread for a moment. Here's an analog. Suppose a new neighbor moves in next door to you and you find out their name, but that's it. You find out their name from your other neighbor and then you go down to the supermarket that same day and tell your other friends that you know your neighbor. You know your new neighbor because you know their name. Is that accurate? What if you actually asked for your new neighbor's thoughts on this subject? Will, <laughs> will he or she agree with your proclamation? And if they say something like, I don't know you, and yet the folks down at the supermarket are saying that you say you know me, and then you respond with, but aren't we friends since, you know, I don't just know your name, but I did that favor for you. I cut your lawn before you even showed up before you moved in. And you, again, sort of just stand there and your neighbor says, well, that was nice of you. It doesn't make us any more friends. I still don't know you. I mean, you did nice something nice for me. Suppose sort of in my name even, but I don't know you. And they continue and say, why don't you come knock at my door later tonight and we can sit down, break bread together, and really get to know each other. The moral of the story is intimacy is a prerequisite to friendship. Is it not? Intimacy is a prerequisite to friendship. Words mean nothing. Saying Jesus' name doesn't mean you know him. Or regurgitating his words, you know, words of wisdom. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you know him. It means you can, you're a parrot. It doesn't mean anything. Saying Jesus' name doesn't mean you know him. I know a lot of people who say Jesus' name, but I doubt they know him intimately because they don't even bother to read their Bibles. I was pondering this very phenomenon I always get a kick out of people who name drop others. 
so that they come across as more important. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you guys do it. People name drop. People like to name drop. For example, if any one of you were personal friends, okay, personal friends with Bill Gates, I'd be willing to bet that everyone in this congregation would know about it and in short order. Why? Bill Gates is an, is, is, is an atheist. Self-proclaimed. I'm not, that's his own words. Why would everybody in here know that you're friends with Bill Gates? You see, if others perceive you, quote, know someone of prominence, you receive something fleshly, like a gift. Let's call it approbation. But it's not a gift from above. It's a demonic gift. As we've learned in the past, knowing a person means much more than simply knowing details about them. Go to Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.21 So you want wisdom. You say you have a good attitude about wisdom. You want love. You want peace. You want all these grace gifts from God. There's only one way to get there. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cut your grass? No. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name? Did I not say your name at the supermarket? Did I not do good things in your name and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ow! I never knew you. Again, knowing a person means much more than simply knowing details about them. When we read the Bible, we get details about Jesus Christ. Some of us can regurgitate it, but that doesn't mean we know him. So, if we couple this with all that we've learned from the Spirit this past week on the topic of gaining wisdom, what say you? Is it fair to conclude that the Bible teaches us that to know Christ is to have his wisdom also? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Yeah. To know him is to have his wisdom also. There's a, that's a very different approach than the worldly approach. The worldly approach does not seek a relationship with Jesus Christ, nor does our flesh. Peering the board, digging a little deeper and heading back to our series Finding his peace, understanding God's wisdom gives us peace. When the truth sets you free, you are at peace. Nothing is pressing or agitating your soul. The point the spirits are making all morning is here on the board. Seek him to find your peace. Do not seek peace or wisdom in an attempt to find him. Does that make sense? Your attitude, whenever you open up the Bible, cannot be to acquire 
just the wisdom by itself. It's Him. When the Proverbs says the first thing about wisdom is to acquire it, it's talking about Him. Because He is wisdom. He is love. He is peace. He is all these things. Seek Him to find your peace. Do not seek peace or wisdom in an attempt to find Him. This principle dovetails nicely with one of Thursday's principles up here on the board. The value of wisdom. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? Do you? Do you take the time to reflect? Do you pray to God? Do you take the things you've read in the Bible and pray to God for guidance with them? Or do you just read the Bible and pick up new pearls of so-called wisdom? Because even an unbeliever can do that. Satan in Matthew 4, go and read Matthew 4. Satan in Matthew 4 used Holy Scripture out of context. He had it memorized, apparently, to try to trip up Jesus Christ. It's not that demons don't understand what Scripture says. It's that they don't have the wisdom on it. Because if they did, they wouldn't be demons. They'd be on the right side of the fence, not the wrong. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Luke 11, 5 to 10. Up here on the board, I'll give you a, a snippet there. Luke 11, verse 8 in the NLT. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Some of you are sitting here right now going, I, I don't exactly know what's going on here this morning. I've been reading my Bible, I've been doing this, but this is rocking my world a little bit. Be persistent. How's your prayer life? Honestly, how's your prayer life? Do you pray for guidance? Do you pray for faith? Do you pray for revelation? Do you pray to see the truth about yourself. That's what shameless persistence looks like. Shameless, not shameful. A couple of weeks ago, and I've got to close here. A couple of weeks ago, I intimated something about myself that several, several of you echoed back to me that is that sometimes there's a latent fear of opening our Bibles in the sense that we are struck with painful realities. We might read a truth that causes us to stumble even, which is crazy at face value, but nonetheless true. If nothing else, we must at least be honest with ourselves. At least be honest with ourselves at all times, disallowing ourselves from attempting to hide from the truth, especially about ourselves, but also about others. We have to at least be honest about ourselves and even about others. 
So before I departed on my trip to Colorado Springs, a kind-hearted older gentleman in our congregation had encouraged us all with his humble words regarding a recent blog. That exchange precipitated the following passage regarding practical wisdom, and I think I'll end with this note, practical wisdom. Go to Proverbs 20, verse 29. Proverbs 20, verse 29. So I'm taking you back to where we kind of left off two weeks ago to resituate ourselves. We're just about out of time, but I do want to get back here. Again, that exchange precipitated the following passage regarding what I call practical wisdom, because you know it's never enough just to talk about these things. That's our habit, though, isn't it? We're going to talk about it. We're going to be convicted. And then many of you are going to go watch the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is in their strength. The honor of old men is in their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour, excuse me, stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. It was the second verse that the Spirit gave us some more insight. I borrowed from Barnes on it up here on the board on Proverbs 20, verse 30. The open sores of wounds left by the scourge, unclean and foul as they seem, are yet a cleansing, purifying process for evil. So also are the stripes that reach the inward parts of the belly. For example, the sharp reproofs, the stings of conscience which penetrate where no scourge can reach into the inner life of man, up here on the board. Chastisement, whatever its nature, whatever be its nature, must be real. The scourge must leave its mark. The reproof must go deep. I think I'll end here. Wisdom says, the revelation of truth, regardless of how sweet or painful the results, is always a good thing. The revelation of truth, regardless of how sweet or painful the results, is always a good thing. And we become hypocrites when we proclaim we love Christ, the fullness of grace and truth, the embodiment of wisdom, and yet reject a whole half of the truth. In other words, our flesh remains undisturbed when truth is sweet, but when it's sour or painful, it rears up to rejection. And here's what I'll close with. Christ has expressed a very real disdain for hypocrisy. A very real disdain for hypocrisy. And that's what we have to walk away with this morning. That's taken us all the way back two weeks now. Christ has a very real disdain for hypocrisy. If you want to relate to Solomon in your pursuit of wisdom, then do it righteously. If you want to love the way Christ loved, then do it righteously. Seek Him and you shall find all of this. And in the process, my friends, be set free. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of studying the Word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for never holding punches with us, Father. Thank you for always reorienting us to the truth that sets us free. Just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes. 
and then out to a world that's just decaying. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.